Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. How are you? So good. How are you? I'm so good. So good. <laughs> oh, jeez. Jokes. We're just such a hoot. Yes. Aren't we? Yeah. You know what is a hoot, though? What? Bonus content. Oh, you're so right. King. Queen. Oh, we reversed. We reversed. That's okay. Gender's a construct. So, what do we got for bonus? So true. Um, so next week, our bonus episode will be coming out over on Patreon, and our patrons voted for the story of Stephanie Fernandez. Stephanie was convicted of manslaughter in 2014 for the stabbing death of her fiancé, Andrew Wagner. Prosecutors alleged Fernandez was the prime aggressor in their tumultuous relationship that culminated in murder, but Stephanie argued that she was a battered woman who acted in self-defense. This case is far from black and white. So, it's a little dicey over there. It's a gray area. Yeah, this one's a little bit gray, but... It's not a happy one. Yeah, no, definitely not. inspiring. Maybe not. But our patrons did vote on this one. They did have three options, which is what we always have over on Patreon. So if you want to vote on some bonus content that you get to hear every single month, head over to Patreon. And there's also a Discord that you get to join. So head over there. But anyway, we also have an episode for you today. We also have content content. Yeah, we also have regular content. And today we're going to be talking about Victoria Sillier's. Shall we just jump in? Let's talk about Victoria. Victoria Silliers was born in Edinburgh in 1975. Her childhood was reassuringly normal, as she put it. She adored her parents and her little brother. Growing up, she loved horses and filled her weekends with horseback riding. Everything for Victoria was going well until 14 years old when her mother was diagnosed with cancer and suddenly passed away. This was, of course, extremely difficult for Victoria and her family. Around that time, her escape became drumming for both the pipe band and playing along to heavy metal bands. One day on her way to drum practice, she noticed a poster hanging on the school wall that said, partake in a charity parachute jump. Parachuting sounded like exactly the kind of escape she was looking for. And even better than that, she could raise money for bowel cancer research in memory of her mother while she did it. It was a win-win. On the day of the jump, they all drove down from Edinburgh to Nottingham, and she was fizzing with excitement. Each student would be doing a tandem skydive with an instructor to jump with. Once in the plane, she was petrified. Looking over the edge, she could see the spot on the ground where she'd be landing and had a quick moment of panic. But the second they tipped forward, leaving the aircraft, she said all of her anxiety washed away. It was a euphoric feeling. And from that moment on, she was completely hooked. Victoria was jealous of the instructors who got to do that as their job because she felt like she could do that every day for the rest of her life. She went on to become a captain in the British Army as well as study physiotherapy at the University of Glasgow. After some time of being a physio in the army, she found her way back to skydiving when she was looking for something fun to do as an escape from it all. She took a parachuting course and very quickly fell in love with the sport. 
She spent every spare weekend she had at the parachute center, and soon enough, almost all of her friends and social life and love life revolved around it. For a while, she was even a freefall instructor and completed 2,600 jumps. Wow. Yeah. In what time period? Like, I think in her career. So over okay. over her life. But I was like, how, how often is this woman skydiving? She was doing it a lot. God damn. Yeah, she was skydiving a lot. In the winter of 2009, Victoria met a man named Emile Silliers. Emile grew up in a small town just east of Johannesburg in South Africa and relocated to the UK just a few years prior. Emile and Victoria worked at the same gym. He was a unit physical training instructor in the Royal Artillery, but he was coming to Victoria because he had hurt his knee badly while on a skiing trip, which resulted in some extensive reconstructive surgery. So she was his physio, or his PT. At first, their relationship was strictly doctor-patient, which then shifted into a friendship as they got to know each other better. However, after a few months of working together, there was a pretty clear spark between the two. Victoria thought Emile was quite dreamy. He was in great shape and had piercing blue eyes, but most of all, she was attracted to his personality. Emile cared so much about his career. He was motivated, he knew where he wanted to go in life, and he made it happen. During one of their many conversations, Emile brought up that he had two children with an ex-wife. He told her they were still married on paper, but they were separated. This was a bit of a red flag, considering she didn't want to get wrapped up in another complicated relationship, but she decided to believe Emile, because previously she had been in a relationship with a man who had cheated on her, and she really didn't want to get into another one of those. Yeah, not ideal. Yeah. When he finally asked her out for a drink, she transferred his care over to a colleague, and the two started dating. The two just seemed to click instantly. The beginning of their relationship was a whirlwind. Even though they'd only known each other for a few weeks, they were inseparable, spending most nights together. And Emile was very intense. He showered Victoria with attention and love. He wanted to be with her every second of every day, making excuses to pop by, sometimes bringing her coffee or help her around the house, or he'd cancel plans to be with her. Even though she felt like things were moving a bit too fast, she enjoyed all of the attention she was getting. She just felt like he was extremely sweet and passionate. But really, it was kind of love bombing, which is a red flag. Yeah, I was going to say, he has kids. He does. And he's spending every night with her. Mm-hmm. That's a red flag for me. Yeah. And then the first couple weeks you're spending every day, that's he- too much. Yeah. He was showering her with affection and love and all of his attention, and it was re- he was really laying it on thick. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was great. It was classic love bombing. Yeah. He told her he loved her for the first time after only a few weeks of dating, and She said it back because at that point, she kind of felt like she did. After a few months, Emile moved into Victoria's house because at that point, he was basically already living there. So it felt like the next step. It was also around that time that Victoria met Emile's ex-wife, Carly, for the first time. And it was during that first meeting that she dropped the first bomb on their relationship. She told Victoria that Emile had another family back in South Africa another girlfriend, and a couple of kids. 
Victoria, of course, was pissed. Yeah, your mouth Wait, just what? dropped. Yeah. He has more kids? Mm-hmm. Another Wait, family in South I'm Africa. I'm sorry. I thought the first family was from South Africa. They're here? No, so he has an ex-wife, Carly, and two kids. And then Carly, who just met Victoria, is like, by the way, he has another family in South Africa, where he's originally from. Okay. The first one is in Edinburgh. Jesus well, Christ. Actually, she's not the first one, but the current ex-wife. The one we've been concerned about for the past 10 seconds. Yeah. And now we've found another one. So he has a total of, what, four kids? Yeah, four With kids. Two and... different wives. Correct. Oh, boy. So, right. Victoria, of course, was pissed because why hadn't Emil told her about this? They had discussed their pasts at length with each other. And when she confronted him about this, he told her that he wanted to tell her, but he was afraid to lose her. Emil told Victoria the reason it wasn't a pressing issue was because it was the mother's choice to keep the children from him. So he didn't have any contact with them, which actually was a lie. He had left her in South Africa. Great. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I know less than 10 things about him. And this is a bad track record. Oh, he is an awful man. We're going to learn that time and time again. He is a terrible, terrible man. Yeah, I mean, he's not batting well right now. No. Just maybe we know his name. Mm-hmm. We know his name. You're like, if that even is his yeah, real name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, his first girlfriend, he met her when she was 13 and he was 16. And then when she was 16... She had her first kid. They ended up having two kids together. He ended up leaving her to go to the UK. And he told her, I'll be back for you. And Mm -hmm. so she fully expected him to come back. And then he ended up never coming back for her. And I'm pretty sure he had his mom break up with her for him. Wow. Yeah. So You couldn't even call her? Yeah. So she, the whole like, oh, it was her choice to have the kids, to have me not see the kids ever again. That, That was bullshit. Yeah, you abandoned your own kids. Yeah, he abandoned them. Fucking piece of trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's trash. So, yeah, he has two families already. Anyway, this was the first obvious red flag for Victoria, but she decided to let this issue go because she knew the type of man that Emil was, or at least she thought she knew. And she was beginning to think about the possibility of children of her own with Emil. No. Yes. No, 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 no. But it wasn't long after Emil had moved in that another bomb was dropped. This time it was about his financial situation, because of course. He had some debt that he wanted to discuss. He told Victoria... (laughs) (laughs) Honey, I have some debt I want to discuss. Translation, I need you to pay for my shit. Yes. (laughs) Is that not what's going to happen? Well, just you wait. So he told Victoria he was about 2,000 pounds in debt because his ex-wife stopped working and would sit at home all day and spend money from their joint account. Victoria was relieved that it wasn't as bad as she thought it was going to be. So she decided she would help him clear it and then he could pay her back once he was back on his feet. Mm Mm-hmm. In the meantime, Victoria taught Emil how to parachute, and he was a natural at it. He tagged along so often and became so good at it, he even began packing parachutes for money. 
So with that extra income, they decided it was time to open a joint bank account. Oh, honey, no. Not long after that, Emil popped the question, and the two were engaged. And just before the wedding, Victoria found out that she was pregnant. That was shocking news, but Victoria was elated. However, up until this point, Emil did a pretty good job of hiding his actual personality. And this is when the bubble would begin to burst. And before we get into this bit, I wanted to give a very quick trigger warning. We are going to briefly discuss miscarriage. Emil had been set to play a cricket match in London, and the couple planned to stay there for the match. But by the time the match day rolled around, Victoria had begun to bleed and knew something wasn't right with the baby. When they made it to the hospital, she was given the devastating news that she had lost the baby. So now she could either be admitted to the hospital for a removal or let nature take its course. Victoria opted to leave the hospital and go home, but Emil didn't want to go home. He wanted to go to London for his cricket match. So he asked Victoria if she was up to it because he didn't want to let his team down. He assured her they already booked their accommodation and he told her we can't save the baby anyway, so it's not going to make any difference. Even though Victoria was bleeding and in excruciating pain, she agreed, not wanting to let him down. But when they got there, they saw that they wouldn't be staying in a hotel. It was a hostel, where they only would have a mat rolled out on the floor. Victoria told Emil that she was not staying, and he told her he can't leave his team. So he gave her the car keys and made her do the hour drive home by herself while she was bleeding and in pain. That was the kind of man Emil was. Dude. But Victoria still tried to rationalize it because she told him he could stay. As if it wasn't one of the most traumatic things a person could go through. Soon after that, the couple was married in a big ceremony in South Africa. Which wasn't exactly Victoria's style, but it seemed perfect at the time. And eight months later, Victoria gave birth to their daughter, April. Not long after April's birth, Victoria started noticing small amounts of money being withdrawn from their account. At first, she thought it was just for the costs of a newborn, but as time went on, the expenses got harder and harder to rationalize. There were receipts for clothes she'd never even bought or seen. She got warning letters saying she hadn't paid off bills, and even found out that Emil had taken out an overdraft in Victoria's name and even a loan. She suspected he was spending money on his many hobbies, like photography, climbing, and cricket. But when she'd confront him, he would explode at her, saying she didn't trust him, or saying that his work hadn't paid him, and he'd sulk for days, which made her feel terrible and not want to approach him at all. She convinced herself that all couples had money troubles and she'd push them to the side, especially since they had a new baby to focus on. In 2013, Emil suggested they move to a new house, that way they could have a new baby. They couldn't afford it, but Victoria's grandmother had recently passed and left her and her brother some money. So that, as well as some money she borrowed from her brother, allowed them to move. But when the news that Victoria was pregnant with their second came up, Emil said he was happy, but seemed far less interested. He was becoming more and more distant as time went on. It was around that time that Victoria got a call from the mother of their 16-year-old babysitter who told her that Emil had been sending her daughter inappropriate text messages. 
She had screenshots to prove it. Emile had been asking the young girl things like, do you have a boyfriend? And telling her things like, you look really nice this evening, which is absolutely disgusting. And when Victoria found this out, she felt like she was going to vomit, rightfully so. And when she confronted her husband, he insisted that it wasn't true and told her that someone must have (laughs) hacked his... (laughs) Yeah. He insisted that it wasn't true and told her that someone must have hacked his phone and blamed her for not believing him and thinking so poorly of him. And he stormed out of the house. So this is... (laughs) This is what he would do every single time. Anytime she would confront him with a very real issue, he would completely explode, which would completely deter her from ever wanting to bring anything up. Yeah, I mean, you got the receipts, though. You're dead to rights on this one. Somebody hacked your phone? Come on. That's what he said. Did she believe it? She didn't know what to believe. Uh, Yeah, I mean, God, that's disgusting. This just seems to be his fucked up pattern. Like, he'll have a wife or girlfriend have two kids and then just leave? Yeah, that is exactly what his pattern is. A few days later, some messages from Emile's email popped up on the family's computer, and Victoria glanced at it as it popped up and saw that it was from a sex club. Emile explained this one away by saying that he and his ex-wife used to go there, so that's why they were emailing him. But she knew that this was a lie because he had a new email address and phone number since then. So that was complete bullshit. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's going to lie about the text message screenshots. Yeah. You know, of course he's going to lie about that. Right. A week later, more messages appeared on the computer from an unknown woman that said, quote, I had a great time tonight, followed by other very incriminating conversations. She found receipts for meals that she didn't go on in Emile's jeans, and he was very clearly cheating on her. And their money problems had only gotten worse. And by that, I mean Emile was basically stealing from Victoria, like a lot of money. But each time Victoria confronted Emile, he would gaslight her and say, just because your ex-husband cheated on you doesn't mean you can be paranoid with me, which made her feel crazy. And to top it all off, she was very pregnant and had a toddler, but she was doing most of the childcare on her own. All of the doctor's appointments, working full-time, and juggling childcare. She knew her marriage couldn't continue like this, but she was scared to fully support a baby and a toddler on her own. Even though she wasn't getting much support from Emil, she was still getting something. And if she ended it, then that would go away. And it would make her life even just a little bit harder. Emil was finding any excuse he could not to be at home. He started taking a lot of work trips. And while on a trip where he was supposed to be with the British Skydiving Nationals, she saw a photo of him on Facebook cozying up to a bunch of women while she sat at home with a toddler and very pregnant. And that was just one of many of these work trips. Their relationship came to its breaking point when one evening, while the two of them sat in the living room together, Emile sent Victoria an email that said, Talking to you over email is a lot easier because you get too emotional when I talk to you face to face. I'm not sure how I feel about the marriage. She wanted to scream so many terrible things, considering she was heavily pregnant and he is a sad excuse of a human, but instead, she emailed him back, saying, You really do pick your timing. He emailed her again. I'm not sure if I want to be married to you anymore. 
I need some time out to think. I'll still be there for you and the baby, though. And also, they're sitting next to each other, by the way. Or, like, in the same room. They're in the same room? They're in the, li- they're in the living room together. He's wow. just emailing her because he doesn't want to talk. So after they have a brief conversation with their mouths, you know, he told her he'd be staying at the army base that night. What a coward. Honestly. He, yeah, he sucks. A few months later, Victoria gave birth to her son, Ben. For the first couple of days, life at home with the children felt perfect. Victoria's family was in town to help out with the baby while Emil worked. And Emil's mood seemed to improve for a while, but as soon as Victoria's family left, he went back to his distant self. That night, Emil decided that he would go back to the barracks since he was going to have an early morning. It was already around 10 p.m., but he insisted. The next morning, Victoria woke up to an odd smell. When she made her way down to the kitchen, she realized it was the smell of gas. At first, she wasn't sure, but bent over the stove to get a better look at the lines connected, and it definitely was gas. She turned off the lever attached to the pipe and noticed what looked like dried blood along the pipe. She thought it could be nothing, but texted Emil asking if he touched the gas lever in the cupboard. Not long after asking about the gas, he texted back saying, That is weird. Is the stove working? She almost laughed out loud. She responded, I'm not about to find out. I'd blow up the house. So he told her to open up the windows and doors and leave it for a while. After calling the gas company, it looked like one of the bolts had come loose, but after they tightened it, Victoria was told they shouldn't have any more problems. After hearing that, she jokingly texted Emil, Are you trying to kill me? But he quickly responded, Why? You cannot be serious about that comment you just made. You've been saying that a lot recently. Why would you think that? She said, I just saw an article in a magazine about killer husbands, and it was only a joke. But then she couldn't think of any time she had ever said that. So she thought that that was a very odd remark. Because he was like, you've been saying that a lot recently, but she had never said that to him before. Yeah, it's weird. He's He did it. He did it. So. Emil, yeah, turn the stove on. Yeah, he's like, hmm, that's strange that you smell gas. Is the stove working? Is our flamethrower, like, working? Hmm, I don't know. Have you tried lighting a match? Emil's aggressive outbursts were becoming unbearable. If she confronted him about anything, and there was a lot to confront him about, he would explode. They were still dealing with extensive money issues, his cheating, lying, and disappearing for weeks on end. But with Ben came a new lease of life into the house, and Emil seemed to be a bit more attentive. He helped out with night feeds and took an interest in interacting with him. He even started making it home most evenings to sit down for dinner with them, These little glimpses of normalcy gave Victoria hope that things were improving. She clung to the hope that this was just a rough patch, and one afternoon, her hopes seemed to be confirmed. Emil called Victoria and suggested the two of them do a jump together like old times, meaning they go skydiving together. Victoria's heart leapt when she heard this because it had been ages since he wanted to do anything together, so this was a very positive sign, so she agreed. He told her that was perfect. He'd get in touch with the parachute center and set everything up. She felt so touched by that because that was something they used to do together and she hadn't jumped since before her pregnancy with Ben. The only problem was they'd have to find someone to watch the kids. 
but he told her not to worry, he'd sort everything out. Although this would be her first jump in a year, and part of her was filled with dread, but she was very optimistic about the idea. Emile sounded warm again. Because she had been out of the game for so long, she needed to get her equipment checked over, and it turned out that her automatic activation device was out of date, which was responsible for deploying the reserve parachute if you were going abnormally fast at a low altitude, and without it, a jump would be dangerous. So she would have to send her pack out to be serviced, which was going to take a few weeks. But Emile was so adamant on jumping in the next few days, so Victoria decided she would just rent out a kit, that way they could make it happen sooner. That night when Victoria got home, Emile had some bad news. He told Victoria that he unfortunately couldn't get childcare for them while they were jumping, which meant they couldn't do it together, but he was still so excited for her to go. He could bring the kids and they could all watch. To Victoria, skydiving had been like a drug in her younger years. It was her job, but also it was her entire social life and her escape. So it took up massive amounts of her time. But at this point in her life, she wanted to just be there for her children. Even though she didn't really want to do the jump, she was so determined to make it a bonding experience. So she agreed anyway. That Saturday, they all bundled up and headed to the parachute center. But the weather was awful, which meant there most likely wouldn't be any jumping that day. But Emil, who usually was very distant and impatient, was happy and even excited to sit around and wait all day. <laughs> Skeptical face. Mm-hmm. After Victoria was given her kit, Emil took it and put it on his back while they waited which is when April tugged on her mother's jeans and told her that she needed to use the bathroom. But Emile insisted that he take her. Victoria was grateful for the offer, so off they went. But after a few minutes, when the two weren't back, Victoria wondered what was taking them so long. She went over to the bathroom and pushed open the door to hear her daughter's voice talking, so she knew everything was fine and went back to sit and wait for them. It turned out after waiting all day, the weather had taken a turn for the worse, and there would be no jumping, as they suspected. There were no staff behind the desk, and they needed to get the kids home. So instead of giving the rented kit back, they decided they would put it in Victoria's locker overnight. That way she could use it when she came back the next day. And since she was an instructor, she knew that they wouldn't mind. That night, Emil was more affectionate than usual after putting the kids to bed, and they even watched a movie together on the sofa. The next morning, the nerves set in about the jump. Victoria had done thousands of jumps, but she had a pit in her stomach at the thought of going. She had gotten no sleep with the baby and had things to do later in the day, but Emil insisted that she go. At that point, she just wanted to get it over with, so she forced herself out of the house. By the time she arrived at the parachute center, it was late morning and the weather again was terrible. She sat in her car for a few minutes before she forced herself out, and from there, she just kept her head down and went through the motions. She texted back and forth with Emil, who insisted that the weather should be clearing up soon. Even though something inside her was screaming at her not to do it, she saw how important this seemed to be to Emil. And finally, she got the call. They'd be doing a low-level lift, or a hop-and-pop. 
A low-level jump meant the plane would only be flying up to the cloud base, reaching 5,000 feet at most, which made her feel a lot better. That was easy. When she got on the plane, everything felt wrong again. She felt tears well up in her eyes and like she was going to throw up as they took off. Finally, it was her turn. She held her breath and leapt into the sky. For the first time all day, she felt calm. She knew what she was doing and navigated the sky with careful control. She reached for the toggle at the base of the rig strapped to her back and pulled it outwards to deploy her parachute. But instead of it slowing her down, she felt an uneven jolt. She thought that was weird and looked up to see that the lines attached were badly twisted. She was in shock for a second, but snapped herself out of it quickly. This is what training was for. She kicked through the air to unravel the twists, but when that didn't work, she decided she needed to cut it away, that way she could use her reserve. She held her breath, preparing herself for what would be an aggressive jolt from the fast-acting backup. The reserve was designed to open instantly in a snap motion that would make you jerk upwards. But after deploying the reserve, she felt nothing. She opened her eyes and saw the reserve canopy had only partially inflated, with one side flapping uselessly in the wind. And now she was spinning out of control. The violent spinning knocked her sideways until she was almost upside down. She continued spinning and trying to untangle the twisted mess of ropes attached to her as the panic set in that her children needed her. She had no idea how close to the ground she was. She just needed to fix it. Out of nowhere, there was a loud, metallic bang, and then everything went black. But Victoria Silliers survived. She briefly woke up on the ground, while one of her friends from the parachute center knelt over her, who happened to be a trained doctor. She could hear the blaring noise of an ambulance grow louder in the distance. She somehow didn't feel any pain in that moment, and she knew that she could wiggle her fingers and toes. But then everything went black once again. The next thing she knew, she woke up in the hospital. She had a broken pelvis, a damaged bladder, most of the ribs on her right side were smashed, and a collapsed lung. But she was alive. That's incredible. She... <laughs> I mean, she was at terminal velocity when she hit? Just about? Just about. That's insane. Yeah. And she woke up and could wiggle her fingers and toes. Pretty much. She's yeah. not paralyzed. That's more, even more incredible to me. Isn't that insane? So there were a few reasons that she managed to survive that fall. She had slowed herself down while she was tugging on her lines to open her chute as best as she could. She slowed herself down to about 60 miles per hour. She was also a very small person. And she landed into a freshly plowed, muddy field that slightly cushioned her landing. So those three reasons are why she survived. How fast is 60 miles per hour, like, compared to just free fall? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. I guess it's just like, is it half or is it 80%? I think it would probably depend on maybe how much a person weighs, right? Maybe. I... What would this I don't be? Think... Physics? I did not do physics. No. I simply did not take physics. Okay, so time for a little physics lesson. Oh, wow. Okay, so the weight doesn't matter. Okay. So if you took like a bowling ball that's nine pounds and 18, and you dropped it from wherever, they would land at the same time. Okay. But what matters is like the surface area, 
that the wind blows against. You know how you ever seen people when they're skydiving, they kind of like flatten out, they put their arms out. Yeah. That's because they're slowing down. And if they like dive, it's so they it go just, faster. Yeah. Right. So I guess if you're taller, you might fall a little slower. Oh, I don't know. Uh, but it does say that terminal velocity is about 200 kilometers an hour, which is about 120 miles per hour. So she was like going half as fast. Oh, okay. As she probably should have been if she didn't have a parachute. Great. And I also think that she jumped at like 3,000 feet. I don't think that really matters because by the time, I don't think it takes very long to hit that quick. Oh. I actually wonder what the answer to that question is. Okay. It actually does take a little while. It takes about 12 seconds and you would fall about 1,500 feet in that time. So maybe it did. Yeah. yeah, I I think at 3,000, she would have hit it eventually. Hit what? Terminal Terminal velocity. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I wonder like how long she was actually falling for less than 30 she had right but she had enough time to do all of that stuff and to think about like oh my god my children need me you know yeah nuts but isn't that just so crazy that for those three reasons her being a small person and like the fact that she fell in a in a plowed muddy field contributed to her survival just lucky enough. Yeah, she was incredibly lucky. And when she woke up in the hospital, she was greeted by the insanely indifferent Emil. He did not care at all. And he actually made her feel like he was inconvenienced that he had to be there. And she even apologized to him because he made her feel that bad. Wow. This he, is a new level. Yeah. He barely even looked up at her from his phone. Throughout her time in the hospital, Emil rarely even showed up, actually. The doctors told Victoria she'd be there for three months, but Victoria, who was incredibly determined to get back home to her children, managed to get herself back up and moving in only two to three weeks. Whoa. Isn't that insane? She was a physio herself, so she, like, physical therapied herself up. That's boss. Yeah, she's like, um, actually, no, I'm gonna get up right now. They're like, you need a physio. And she's like, no. Right. No, I don't. That's incredible. So that was like, what, three months to three weeks? Yeah, just over two weeks she was in the the hospital. Wow, that's remarkable. And Emil like almost never showed up to the hospital. Can we get rid of this man? I'd love to. When she was finally home, Victoria received a call from the Parachute Center to say the British Parachute Association would be paying them a visit. And within the hour, they were at her home to let her know that they had opened an investigation into her incident. There had been two vital pieces missing from her parachute, and they believed it had been tampered with. By who? Right. And a few days later, she got a call from the same team asking her if they should report the incident to the police. Victoria asked Emil what he thought she should do. And he said, yeah, you should. Why not? If something needs investigating, then let them investigate. So so she agreed and told them to pass it along to the police. Did he really do this? He thought he was going to get away with it? Well, if he did do it, then he's being extremely cocky about it, isn't he? It would seem so. Yeah. It's extremely rare for both parachutes to malfunction on the skydive. 
Victoria knew the reserve chute may need to be used one in every 750 jumps, but the likelihood that the reserve malfunctions is like one in a million. This rang alarm bells for the instructor and boss at the Army Parachute Association, Mark Bayeda. Immediately, they set out examining Victoria's equipment, and they found that the main parachute was tangled and the reserve was actually missing two key pieces called slinks. Mark had tried to find loose stitching in the harness or canopy, bunching on the straps to show that they had been under any pressure, residues, burn marks, or any other signs to indicate the slinks had been there and somehow pulled off. But he found nothing to show any mechanical fault. And although that reserve chute had never been deployed and had been inspected 16 times by 10 different advanced packers in its lifetime, and in each inspection, the slinks had been there, they were no longer there when Victoria jumped. Yeah, I mean, they have to have this shit locked down, multiple people checking it multiple times before the jump. Well, they right? they did. Yeah. But you said over the life of the pack. I'm just talking like even on even on the day you should be checking. Right. So they, they do have checks for the kits and stuff like very regularly before you use them. But Victoria had the kit before her jump in her locker. Remember, she rented it out and then they Emil took it to the bathroom and then they put it in her locker overnight and then she used it for her jump the next day, which is not typical protocol. She wasn't right. supposed to keep it in her locker overnight, but she was an instructor and there was no one behind the desk and they had to get her kids home and it was kind of like, oh, we shouldn't do this, but like no one's around. So like, this will yeah. be fine. After Victoria's jump, there were no sign of these slinks. So that meant that they must have been removed before her jump, which is when they contacted Victoria to call the police. And actually, the police hadn't only been contacted by Mark Bayeda and the Parachute Association, one of Victoria's friends had also contacted police with insight on the Sillier's marriage. She told police their relationship had been extremely toxic. So four days after Victoria was released from the hospital, Emile Silliers was arrested on suspicion of attempted murder. During the investigation, Emile was extremely confident and arrogant and even gave police a motive. When asked about his marriage, he told police it wasn't one he wanted to be in anymore. And that was because the police had confiscated his phone and he knew that they were about to uncover a lot of dirty laundry. He told police he was having an affair with a woman named Stephanie Goller, an Austrian skydiving instructor he had met on Tinder while abroad on an army skiing trip. They made plans for their future together, even though they had only met five months prior. So Sounds familiar. So he's planning on leaving for another one. He was also having an affair with his ex-wife, Carly. Can we list the people he's not having sex with? It seems like it would be quicker. Like, like, what? But are we surprised either? No. Like, I've heard almost nothing positive about him the entire time we've been talking about him. Mm-hmm. Does he have any redeeming qualities? No. No one except for her likes him? Yes. He also admitted he had debt to payday loan companies. And <laughs> I would like to discuss my debt with you. <laughs> right. 
And if that wasn't enough, he also admitted that he had disappeared to the bathroom of the skydiving center for a while on the Saturday afternoon before Victoria's accident with her kit on his back. So he offered up that information on his own. When Victoria found out that Emile had been arrested on suspicion of her attempted murder, she was in complete shock. Even though she knew he had been cheating on her and had been a disaster with money, she never thought he was capable of murder. But after police told Victoria that Emile was cheating on her, and not only that, but he had told this other woman that Victoria was cheating on him and that Ben was not his son, and that he had even more debts than Victoria knew about, and he was planning on moving out with the woman he was cheating on her with, when Ben turned six weeks old, she felt like she didn't even know who Emile was. That's a big list of things, but those are all things that she found out from the police. Wow. Isn't that insane? What a day. Jesus Christ, that is too much for one person to hear at one time. Yeah. Police asked her if anything else odd had occurred besides the parachuting incident, which is when Victoria remembered the strange gas leak only a week earlier and how Emile was acting so strangely. So now police had reason to believe that Emile had made an attempt on Victoria's life not once, but twice. And the children with that one. This time for Victoria was a nightmare because she didn't know what was going on with the investigation. She was given absolutely no information on anything. She couldn't see Emile or speak to anyone. She needed to deal with police searching her home and social services checking up on her and her children, and a lot of the time she felt like she was the one in trouble. But it only got worse once the trial began in October of 2017, two and a half years after the fall. She wasn't allowed in the courtroom until after she stood as a witness, so she had to learn about things in the news. That's when she learned that not only had Emil been cheating with Stephanie Goller, but he had also been cheating with his ex-wife, Carly Silliers. And that one stung because Carly was part of her life through the years. They had never been friends, but Carly had helped if they needed childcare when Victoria was heavily pregnant and even looked after Ben when she needed to attend doctor's appointments. She also found out that Emil was around $22,000 in debt and would receive $120,000 from an insurance policy if Victoria died in the parachuting accident. Yeah, so I called it from the beginning. I didn't know what the motive was, but I was like, yeah, it's the spouse for the insurance settlement. Well, you didn't say it on the podcast, but you said it to me the other day. So I did. I will give you the credit, but... Pat on the back. I also guessed the plot of Seven within the first five minutes. Oh, <laughs> So very unrelated, but congratulations. I'm just saying, I am good. The movie Seven? I'm good at things. It's a good movie. If you yeah. haven't seen it, it's a good movie. Go see it. <laughs> What's in the box? I peaked in that moment. Okay. Congratulations. It was the peak of my life. Okay, good. Yeah. Good job. All right, back back to Victoria. When Victoria had given her initial statement about the incident, she told police that Emil had been in the bathroom with her kit for around two minutes. But she changed that statement to say that he was in the bathroom for anywhere from 5 to 10 minutes with it. When she was on the stand, she was questioned about that change in statement. She said she changed it because she had just learned about her husband's affairs and she was gunning for him. 
but it was probably somewhere around the five-minute mark, but she couldn't be exactly sure. Investigators conducted a timed test to see if it were possible to remove a bulky parachute, tangle the cords, and repack it, and remove two slinks from the reserve, dispose of them, and then repack the kit in the stall, and they determined that it would take just over the five-minute mark to do that. So it was possible. Yeah, and he's an instructor, so if anyone can do it, it's him, and he probably could do it quicker than them. Yeah, he was paid to pack parachutes, so... He was very good at it. So that was good, but she basically told the jury that she lied in her initial statement, which didn't look great for her. Even through all of this, Victoria didn't want to believe that Emile was to blame. She was still wrapped up in all the lies. Victoria's testimony didn't exactly help the defense or the prosecution. She didn't know what to believe and was having a very hard time painting Emile in a negative light. But I guess that's what the lawyers are for. They kind of force it out of you, right? That's what they should be doing. Yeah. All of the evidence against Emil was circumstantial. There was no physical evidence tying him to the parachute kit or to the loosened gas pipe. In regards to the gas leak, the prosecution had found a set of pliers, which they claimed were used to loosen the nut, which caused the gas leak. Emil Silliers said he used the pliers to tighten it, but had been unable to do so because it was too tight. Although the markings on the pliers suggested they had been used in a loosening and not tightening motion, according to forensic scientist Mark Kearsley, and they found the dried blood that was on the pipe. So there was that. When Emil testified, he told Winchester Crown Court that a random killer may have sabotaged his wife's parachute kit, He also suggested the jury needed to consider whether she had tampered with her own parachute because she wanted to take her own life. Amongst Victoria's testimony, she admitted while pregnant with her son, and when she was suspicious of Emile's infidelities and concerned about his spending habits, she had threatened to take her own life if he didn't shape up and start being a good husband to her. However, she has always firmly denied tampering with her own parachute, and when asked on the stand how she was feeling on the day of the jump, She said she was emotional and upset, but definitely not suicidal. The defense argued that Victoria was worth more to Emile alive than dead, which Victoria agreed with. Victoria had changed her will to ensure that her children would get everything should anything happen to her, since she didn't trust her husband financially. But Emile had increased Victoria's life insurance policy to 120,000 pounds, which would clear his debt and then some. So He has a clear financial motive, no? Exactly. Jurors were also presented with all the texts Emile sent his girlfriend, Stephanie, and ex-wife, Carly, some of which were sent as he sat next to Victoria in the hospital after the jump or while she was actively in labor. And these were vulgar text messages. Oh, so he's sexting while his wife is pregnant and in the hospital. Yes. The jury deliberated for eight days, and two members had to be sent home for stress-related illnesses. After that, it was declared a mistrial, and the retrial was set for spring of 2018. This time, the jury was taken to a parachuting center and was given a full lecture on how the shoot worked and the unbelievable odds of a double shoot failure. 
The British Parachuting Association conducted inquiry into the incident, which revealed that over the 2 million parachute jumps that took place in the UK between 2005 and 2015, there were zero incidents of a double chute failure. Odd. On top of that, the company that made Victoria's reserve chute had never had an incident involving a faulty chute in, in its entire operating history. Pretty compelling stuff. And more attention was put on Emil's text conversations with Stephanie Goller. In these texts, he promised to be more free in April. The reason he would have so much free time in April would be because he would have murdered his wife. Wow. I mean, of course, he's already planning for after. Right. But this is new loves. It's like, just when you think Emil can't get lower, he does. Oh, I thought he could get lower, by the way. <laughs> not like, really shocked at all. You just keep waiting for him to get I'm worse. I'm not shocked at all. Yeah, I'm not really either. It's just how stupid can you be, too? It's like, I'm going to be so free in April. <laughs> once I once I murder my wife... What's in March? That's when I'm going to murder her. And then April, I'll be so free. A little spring cleaning. Right. The second jury found Emil Sillier's guilty on all counts. And he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 18 years. Even after he was convicted, Victoria wasn't sure he was guilty. But at that point, she really didn't care. For a while after he was sentenced, Emil tried to keep in contact with Victoria from prison. She got texts from Emil's mother saying he still loved her. He would call her and sent her constant letters, and for a while she kept in contact with him, but as time went on, she realized that she didn't want or need his toxic ass. So we love growth for Victoria. Mm -hmm. A reporter, Sarah Oliver, interviewed Victoria after the trial ended and asked her if she ever intended on jumping again, and Victoria said that she would if Sarah did it with her, and Sarah immediately agreed so Victoria kind of didn't think that was going to like happen. And she was like, oh, shit. So she used that opportunity to raise money for the Wilshire Air Ambulance since they saved her life that day. And she did it. She did a tandem jump, meaning she was strapped to an instructor, but she still literally jumped out of another airplane. Oh, my God. And she, ra <laughs> yeah. and she raised 5,000 pounds doing it. She said that jump may or may not be her last, but she wants to focus on her family first and foremost, and she officially filed for divorce in December of 2018. As of 2020, they still had not been officially divorced because Emil wouldn't sign the divorce papers. Shocker. But she's still hoping that once they're divorced, that he'll be deported since he wouldn't be a British national anymore since he was born and raised in South Africa. So I'm hoping that that they're divorced at this point. I don't know. Does that mean he still will be in prison just in South Africa or does I'm, he walk free? I'm assuming he would still be in prison. I mean, he's got life in prison. So I feel like that would carry over. No, you would hope you right? I would, one would hope. I feel like if it didn't carry over, she wouldn't have filed for divorce because why would you do that? Right? Yeah. She recovered quite well, but she still has pain. Uh, but considering what she went through, it could have been much, much worse. Throughout the court case and after, she got a lot of hate mail, so she has worried about the way she's perceived, which definitely sucks, but she wrote her book, I Survived. Um, and if you're interested in getting a more in-depth perspective on her story, definitely check it out. I used her book for the majority of this episode. 
so it's great. Um, but apparently she has a new man in her life who is amazing and her children love and respect him and they were friends first, which is always cute. We love a friends to lovers storyline. We're partial to that. Right, exactly. We love that. Um, so anyway, we, we wish her nothing but the best. And that is the story of Victoria Silliers and her unbelievable survival of uh, jumping out of an airplane and surviving that and also a gas leak. Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, just a very toxic person. Yeah. And also just a very toxic, awful relationship. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I know that we're hearing all of the highlights kind of all in one, but the totality of it all is shocking. Just the amount of cheating and lying that he did, Mm -hmm. even leading up to the gas leak, was astounding. That's not even all of it. That's like most of it, but there was more of it. Yeah, the indifference, the blowing up any time she tried to communicate Mm -hmm. something to you. Insane. So I, I don't know. I can't imagine that she ever felt peace, which really sucks. No. Yeah. And I hope that she does find peace um, and love in this new relationship. And Absolutely. will be left alone to make a shit ton of money off her book and raise her kids. Absolutely. Let's manifest that. Let's manifest. I don't know what would be like the worst kind of narcissist. What, like level one? Level 10? Level 10. <laughs> level, what would be like the worst kind? Because that's a meal. Emil's like level 10 narcissist. Yeah. Could not be bothered. Now he has six kids. Yeah. I bet he doesn't talk to any of them. That's what it sounded like. I mean, I don't really know that for a fact, but just based off everything, it seems like there was never a care for anyone else ever. Yeah. It's pretty much just only about whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just terrible. As terrible as it was from what I explained there's so much more in her book like truly like that's i gave you like the highlights for sure but there's more (laughs) like it's it's awful he was a terrible man also i think he just thought that he was smarter than everyone else because anytime she confronted him with anything i mean this was just like a tactic but he would just explode at her and assume that she would never like look deeper yeah that but also with the gas leak he was like, oh, turn the stove on. Yeah, like she would just do it. Like that. And then also when the Parachute Association was like, should we contact the police? He could have told her to say no. And she probably would have said no if he told her to say no. But he was like, oh, yeah, if there's something to investigate, tell them to investigate. So he was just so he just thought that he was above it. He thought that he was too smart to like get caught i think yeah but i mean it sounds like he was close too because i mean that went to a retrial and um there was no physical evidence tying him to the parachute yeah i guess but also he offered up that he went into the bathroom with her chute i don't know i think he just he just thought that he was too good to get caught i think he was just he flew a little too close to the sun yeah incredibly cocky but Anyway, I'm glad she got out of it, and I'm so glad that she basically recovered almost completely from, like, such an incredible fall. Yeah, on her own. That's on her own. That's such an an insane thing to think about. So, love that for her. That's amazing. 
But anyway, what's what's your good thing? Uh, my good thing this week is that we are doing a redo of my birthday celebration because yeah. I was sick last week and yep. we couldn't. We both got a cold and had to cancel. So I don't know if that is a cop-out no. since I'm saying the same thing, but I'll do two this week. I am back to being able to swing a golf club now, so I'm going to go golf. Congratulations. Yeah. I love that for you. Me too. Hey. What's your good thing? My good thing is you made me a very lovely turkey burger this afternoon. It was bomb. It was a very nice lunch that I was not expecting to get, and um, it was very tasty. Had a little zip sauce? Sure, zip sauce. I'll take it. It was very lovely. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, anyways... Thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to listen to the bonus episodes we have up, we have so many up, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or a near-death experience that you would like to share with us and possibly hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.